The Unshackled Waves, Episode 47. Hello and welcome to the Unshackled Waves podcast. I'm Tim Wilms, here for our second review show this week. Uh, This is because we missed one last week, so we are doing a catch-up episode to ensure that we've covered all the recent events. And to do this, I'm joined once again by my co-editor-in-chief of The Unshackled, Sukath Fernando. Hello, everyone. Well, this second show is certainly needed because there have been some big developments that have happened over the past few days. Of course, the biggest news uh, was the shock announcement of British Prime Minister Theresa May to call a snap general election on June 8th this year. Now, this election is three years early, and Theresa May has said she has called it to ensure stability during the Brexit negotiations, as the government only holds a slim majority in the House of Commons. Uh, Back here in Australia, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull decided this week he wanted to be tough on immigration, something so far he's failed to do. Uh, He first announced the abolition of 457 foreign worker visas uh, earlier this week. Uh, Two days later, he followed this up with the announcement that that his government would be tightening Australian citizenship requirements. This would include an Australian values test, an English test and an employment requirement. Yet he still will not address Australia's key issue of concern in this area, which is Islamic immigration. Uh, France has the first round of their presidential elections, which is on April 23rd. Uh, If a candidate fails to win a majority of votes, which will all but certainly happen, they'll have a runoff election uh, two weeks later. We at the Unshackled have been very vocal about our support for National Front Leader Marine Le Pen. She is the female president we actually want, but it will be a tough fight for her. Her main opponents are the centre-left Emmanuel Macron and free market candidate uh, Francis Fillon. While it looks like she will win the first round of voting, the winning the runoff will be harder. But let's start in the, the UK, or the, the shock of stunning or... Uh, incredible announcement that Theresa May was going to be calling a, a general election in, in just under two months' time. Yeah, it was quite a surprise because, um, you know, we weren't expecting an actual election, another election, um, right after the Brexit referendum. And it, it is the third as it's the third national vote in three years. Um, so it was quite a shock for us. Um, we did a breaking news story on that. Um, she did say that she wanted to um, preserve stability, and they do have quite a small majority. So I think, um, you know, at, at first it does seem quite surprising. But if you look, if you look at it closely, it seems like quite a rational thing to do. And it's always a risk sending voters to the polls early because they naturally resent having to go to the polling booth at all. And there was this famous. Uh, interview that the BBC did, they, they went around the streets to get people as a reaction and there's this older lady who, who, it was the first time she'd heard the news and she's like, oh, you're joking, not another one. Because yeah, they had the, the general election in 2015, Brexit 2016, and now they've got another general election in 2017. And this is a country that's supposed to have fixed five-year terms. So the next 
election wasn't supposed to be until 2020. They had to, oh, even though they've got legislation now which says they have fixed five-year terms, uh, Theresa May was able to override this legislation to call the snap general election because Labor opposition said, bring it on. <laughs> Yeah, and as I said, you know, like Labour, Labour did bring it on, did say bring it on, and you know, um, I I suppose for them it is quite scary in a way because um, they haven't really been doing well um in the polls in among in public opinion, um, they have been having some problems these days within the party itself, um, but yeah, I think calling another election, I think, is a bit interesting since um you know the country is still a bit divided i i would say um and they are still um experiencing the aftermath of the brexit referendum you know we just had article 50 um triggered um along with the leftists um I, last month um as promised she did that um which was very very nice to see because you know we we, we were hoping she won't um you know falter on her uh, on her promises but she didn't she actually met the targets and after that, we are seeing another election. Um, it's still the aftermath. You know, we had the High Court um, sort of uh, saying saying things that might have well that did go against what the people thought, what most people thought, and that might have an impact on this as well. Um, so it's quite interesting to see how this will go. Well, you have to remember that there's 650 seats in the House of Commons. At the last general election in 2015, the Conservatives only won 330, so it's a wafer-thin majority. And let's not forget that all, all of the, not all of the Conservative uh, MPs are behind Brexit. Of course, their, their former Prime Minister, David Cameron, he was hardline against Brexit, which is the reason why he had to resign. So uh, if there's a few, a few Tories on the back bench who don't like the Brexit negotiations, they can afford it because, as we've seen with all these court challenges, which, has led, which had to lead to a parliamentary vote to uh, get Article 50 triggered, during the Brexit negotiations, they get, there's going to have to be more legislation that's going to be, go before the House of Commons. So if, if Theresa May's only got a wafer-thin majority, I mean, that's just going to cause a political gridlock for the, for the next three or two years during the, the Brexit process. So, and especially since the Labour is, is in such a weak position at the moment. I mean, the last poll was showed that the Conservatives led Labour by 21 points, which is incredible. And so it, it, it's important for, it would definitely be important for her to try and aim for a, su a super majority to make sure that you know, she's in the strongest negotiating position with the EU so she can say, look, uh, I, uh, I've got the command in Parliament and so I, I'm negotiating on behalf of the government so you, know, you better offer us a decent, decent deal. Yeah, and this is why uh, an actual an early election is a good idea. You know, many people were surprised, and they were very critical of this um, election. They thought, you know, we had people on Labour, for example. Um, I think it was, uh, it, it was, it, it was an I would say it was an African um, MP who was of African origin, um, and he said, you know, why is Theresa May doing this? You know, she knows Labour. Is, well, he he sort of implied that she knows Labour is weak, and therefore she's trying to exploit that. Um, and this is a dictatorship. Well, she called for. An election so it cannot be a dictatorship um but yeah uh, as as you said it's going to be much easier for her if she's able to um get a much larger majority in both houses in order to make sure that brexit legislation is passed and that 
any legislation um, associated with Brexit, with getting Brexit done as soon as possible is passed, or else right now, as we know that there are lots of conservative MPs who hate Brexit, um, including Theresa May, who was uh, who who opposed who was opposed to Brexit, quietly well, opposed to Brexit. Well, yeah, she was a soft uh, yeah a soft yeah. person or Remainer. Yeah, she was quietly opposed to Brexit. You know, there are conservatives who still don't want to see it happening, and conservatives who supported Gina Miller, for example, conservatives who supported the High Court decision, um, and it's going to be much harder for her if this current structure of parliament is kept in order in order to actually um, make Brexit happen. And by having a majority, having a larger majority, it's going to be easier for her to pass Brexit. Um, by, and by having a small Labour, or well, a smaller Labour party, it'll make it much more easier as well, because they won't be able to tamper with it as much as they could right now. She has caught criticism because uh, she has previously ruled out uh, an early election, which I think is fair enough because politicians are always risk averse and calling an election is always risky. But I think uh, seeing how difficult it was uh, to actually get Article 50 triggered by itself, she saw how difficult the path ahead was going to be and she probably thought in the end, look, I'm going to need a larger majority. This is why I have to call this election. She did say that um, she won't actually have another election. Um, it's understandable because when you have a, a very important referendum, it's hard to say whether you know you're going to have another election um, to make people go back into the boots and vote again. Um, but but now you know we can we can tell what's happening with the aftermath of Brexit, and I think it's better for her to um, make a decision right now. And it's it's quite frankly, it's an opportunity um, because it does look like most people are in support of the Conservatives. Um, as you mentioned, the polls, they lead by 20 points and this is the best um, uh, situation for them, the best opportunity for them to actually exploit this popularity and you know make sure that they gain a much larger majority, um, even though it is risky. Um, because if they don't do that, then it's a risk. But if they don't do that, then you know it's going to be even worse for them to pass legislation. Uh, and I also think that she needs her own mandate as Prime Minister because we have to remember she wasn't elected by the people. In 2015 they voted for David Cameron and his manifesto as Prime Minister. And so now they're with a Prime Minister who they didn't vote for and who I would say is quite different from David Cameron and uh, wants to take Britain in a different direction. And I don't, I don't think it's democratic to have because the next election wasn't due until 2020. I don't think it's fair to have an unelected prime minister there for four years. I think you know, she, uh, she should go to the people to, to be voted in properly. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, and I think that that was also one of the biggest um, sort of arguments made by those who support her decision, um, because, you know, she has uh, approximately four years left um, in, in, in government. And if she uses that, then I suppose from a democratic um, perspective, it doesn't really look democratic. Um, so it's better for her um, to actually legitimize her own position um, and sort of show people, if she does win, show people that, look, I, I won um, this election. It wasn't like I was, you know, chosen by uh, David Cameron. I, you know, I, 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 I did win this election and therefore I my position is quite legitimate um, and therefore I am able to actually legitimately take the country through the Brexit process rather than, you know, have people criticizing me um, or calling me a dictator or something for using my newfound position um, if I wasn't voted. So I think that's another good reason for her to have an election. Uh, and 
from an Australian point of view, I mean, we get uh, unelected female leaders thrust upon us. I mean, Julia Gillard, Gladys uh, Berejiklian, and Christina Keneally. So yes, she she is doing the the right thing and going to the people. And so yes, we 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 have an elected uh, female leader. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we know what it feels like to have you know people like that who aren't elected in the first place. Um, in New South Wales, for example, you know, we have Gladys Berejiklian, who isn't proving to be as bad as we thought, but, you know, it's still, it, it is um, a bit, uh, I suppose, is a bit uh, damaging for her reputation to sort of use this position without being elected. Um, and that will be even worse for someone who's about to stay there for four more years. Um, and she will get more criticisms and that's gonna make things even worse. You know, people in the future, when she starts making all those Brexit decisions, starts passing all those legislation, um, people are gonna criticize her for using or exploiting her position. People are gonna criticize her for being a dictator. I mean, we saw today at Twitter, in on Twitter, we saw a Labour MP saying she was a dictator simply because she wanted to have an election. I mean, in the future, imagine all the arguments her opponents will use if she isn't elected and, you know, looks like some sort of dictator for them. Um, and right now, if she does win with the election, then she won't have to go through that, um, that, that those arguments. She won't have to go through those criticisms by the opponents and it's going to make her make it even easier for her to rule, to govern and actually make sure that Brexit is done in a correct way. And I think that having five-year terms, I mean, that's way too long. I think what we have in Australia with three-year terms, I think that's too short. I think the Americans with their four-year terms, that's perfect. So, yes, I, I definitely think that having an earlier election for the British people, especially in the aftermath of Brexit, is probably better. It is. Yeah, because, you know, again... It it goes back to the whole democratic argument um, because you know you look, we're looking at the legitimacy of that position, the, legit, the legitimacy of the position of prime minister, um, and you know looking at something to make sure that she has security, um, that it, to make sure that she's able to sort of efficiently use that position instead of you know looking like uh, some sort of uh, tyrant. Um, basically, because she has been accused of being one simply for her facial expressions by the leftist media. Um, so, you know, she's able to avoid that by using this election for her own advantage um, to make her position even stronger. Well, the, the slight risk, of course, with this early election, and we've, we've sort of touched on it briefly, is the possibility of a Jeremy Corbyn Labour Socialist government, which would just be a disaster for the UK. I mean, this is a guy who's praised Hugo Chavez, uh, Fidel Castro, you know, wants astronomical taxes for the rich and business, you know, doesn't care about uh, the national debt, wants to, you know, expand the welfare state. I mean, if he won, that would, I mean, the, the UK would go back to pre-Thatcher days, really. If he wins, the United Kingdom is, is done for. I mean, all he's, he is, quite crazy. Um, we have seen him say things um, in the past. Two years ago, he said um, that we need to get rid of our armed forces. Um, you know, he made a speech that uh, Britain would become an Islamic state. Exactly. I mean, anyone can take over. Any, any of Britain's enemies can actually take over um, and do anything, especially as the terrorists. Um, and I just cannot believe 
a, polit- a politician, you know, uh, could say that. I mean, you, you have to be completely brainless to be able to say something like that. Um, but he is giving a speech in Japan, um, you know, saying using that using that situation for his own advantage in a way because he's trying to spread his socialist policies. Um, using that situation, I'm um, saying that you know, look at how bad it is for the world with weapons. So we need to remove our armed force. It doesn't work like that um, because defense is important. Okay, there's a thing called defense, and you might not know that. Um, but yes, we have seen him repeatedly say, say very crazy, irrational statements, and he does seem to have a very um, unstable position within his own party. Um, we have seen that for a while, um, and if he does win, that's going to make things even worse because it's going to be some instability, and his policies put together, that's going to make it even worse for the entire country. If he won, I think I'd have a SJW-style meltdown like they did over Trump. It would just be so yeah. terrible. Yeah, I think we would all be very triggered if he won. You know, we would be, it would be ironic for us because we would just be completely triggered. You're not, not my prime minister sort of thing. Well, we do take confidence in the fact that the Conservatives are so far ahead in the polls and mm-hmm. we do hope this time that the polls are right. So the British people, they are reasonably sane. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's 20 points. 20 points is a, is a lot. Um, it's not like, you know, five or six points. It's 20 points. That's quite a lot. So I think that gives a good safety um, a sort of buffer for the Conservatives. And... I have been, like, she's, she's very flawed, Theresa May, but she has been so determined to make Brexit happen. I mean, because there was a lot of people on the right who were, uh, who were, who were quite sceptical about, you know, e- even if the people voted in favour of Brexit, would the politicians actually implement it? But Theresa May, to her credit, she has been uh, determined and she is determined to see the process through and get a do- good deal for the UK. And it's also worth noting that UKIP sort of, well, Farage sort of seems like he's, his life's work's done, and so he's left, and there's pretty much no leadership in UKIP anymore. So they've kind of become irrelevant. So my point of view is that if you want to see you know, the Brexit dream fulfilled, you've got to vote for Theresa May. Yeah, right now, one of the, because one of the other concerns um, regarding this is um, if, there's, if there is UKIP right now, you know, is it going to result in a divided um, right wing for the United Kingdom, and that's going to be quite bad for the for the UK because if it's divided, um, then Labour can win easily, um, unless of course they do they have some sort of co coalition, which I quite frankly do not think is possible. Um, could be possible. I just cannot see any coalition happening, you know, in two months between UKIP and the Conservatives. Um, but you know, you, that, that argument is quite, you know, a good argument. It might be irrelevant um, because, as I said, Farage is gone. The actual, the actual face of the party, the actual identity of the party, seems to be lost um, after Farage left, um, and that did, you know, work out quite bad for them. Um, and as I said, the thing is, the Conservative. Theresa May actually has some flaws when it comes to things like her shared society plan. Um, and that does sound very economically left-wing. You know, so um, she doesn't really have those flaws, but that might go well with most British voters. You know, if, if she says that, then you know, uh, non-traditional British, well, people who, who would traditionally vote for Labour might actually vote for the Conservatives if she does have a, a left wing rhetoric, which might work out well for the Conservatives, because what we need right now is for a a clean and um, uh, safe Brexit process. 
Well, certainly it's going to be a big two months in British politics. So the Unshackled will be providing uh, election coverage. We'll, we'll be releasing a series of articles about the UK election when important news happens. And also we'll be discussing the latest developments in future podcast episodes. And we're also planning to have a special election night live stream uh, about the UK election, which will probably be early morning this time, Friday morning. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be our second live stream, um, and we hope you know we can we can actually analyze that um, event quite well. So we'll move on to Australian politics now, and it seems this week that uh, Turnbull is found is in a nationalist. Uh, so it seems because uh, on Tuesday there was the announcement that the uh, four five seven foreign. Uh, worker visa program would be abolished, but it's going to be replaced with a different type of foreign worker visa system, although it does exclude uh, 200 occupations out of the 650 that were allowed under the 457 program. So it's, they're, they're not completely ending foreign foreign workers, but they, they are just cutting it a bit. So it's, it's sort of a rebranding. So a lot of people are quite cynical about that. Yeah, it seems like Malcolm Turnbull has learned a thing or two from One Nation, um, because and I think he's realised that um, national conservatism is actually gaining ground, and that nationalism is gaining ground. Um, so I think he's trying to um, adapt to this new political environment and appeal to this, you know, new um, sort of nas nationalist um, revival in Austria in, in this country. Um, and it's quite nice to see. I hope it's is a good step in the right direction. Um, because, you know, uh, Australian workers do come first um, and that's how, it's, how it needs to be um, because, you know, our, our employment rate is quite low and that's a problem with the actual elections and politics as well because the employment rate um, seems to be a big topic within the political environment right now. So if he's trying to show that he, he's able to do something um, about it, um, something quite practical and pragmatic about it, then that might reflect well on him. Well, we even heard a few months ago that uh, 457 visa workers were allowed at fast food restaurants. I mean, are we saying that there's no Australians who can work at McDonald's or Hungry Jack's? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to tell because, you know, they are low-skilled work workers. Um, so, it, yeah, it's hard to tell whether Australians are able to work there. Um, but I think what it's, the biggest thing about it is, is, is that it sends the message to the people. It sends a message to, you know, the normal everyday families um, that, you know, I am doing something about our employment. I'm doing something about Australian workers um, being prioritised. And I am learning something from this new nationalist revival. I'm learning something from One Nation um, that might it reflects well on the entire Liberal Party itself. Uh, and Pauline Hanson, she is she quite uh, cleverly uh, claimed credit for the decision with her, her hilarious tweet saying, oh, it's good they're taking on One Nation policies. Yeah, just like how she did with Labour um, when they said similar things, um, I think it was last year. Um, and, you know, as I said, you know, it seems like they are learning from One Nation. And I think they need to, um, because right now people are getting quite tired of mainstream political parties um, and, you know, moving more towards the, the new right-wing national conservative parties. We are seeing this all over the world. We saw this with, with Trump. We saw this with, with Brexit. Um, and he's trying to make sure that the Liberal Party is able to steer through that and adapt to this new environment. 
Well, that was part one on Tuesday. Part two was on Thursday uh, when Malcolm Turnbull announced that he was tightening access to Australian citizenship. So uh, there will now be an Australian values test, which will ask things like, do you support female genital mutilation? Is it okay to beat your wife? So obviously to you know filter out some of the uh, misogyny that, that we see, especially in Muslim uh, immigrants. And then there will also be a English language test. There will also be uh, tighter restrictions on access to welfare and you'll have to uh, provide evidence of employment. So it's welcome. But of course, I don't think it goes far enough because it's not addressing what we're actually concerned about, which is Muslim immigration. Yeah, I think what it shows is that they try to take careful, you know, careful steps to um, handle this. Um, we saw a similar thing in countries like Austria, for example, where their centre-right party, who are in government right now, they said they will ban um, headscarves. They said they will introduce these new tests for migrants to um, complete um, in order to determine their um, cultural compatibility. Um, you know, they said that they will try to reduce migrants. They were doing similar things. So we are seeing this um, from various centre-right establishment parties around the world. We saw this in the Netherlands, for example, with um, their centre-right party um, saying that, you know, as a response to Geert Wilders, that you know, we will reduce immigration, for example, um, and that helps them win. So uh, we are seeing this trend these days with, the nation uh, with, with that sort of nationalism. And I think they're trying to take careful steps in order to actually not offend um, their normal base, but then also to try and appeal to the nationalist um, revival. Uh, uh, stuff that you shouldn't be worried about the, the feelings of the left on these issues. I mean, tr Trump, he, he was able to propose a Muslim ban and that's what he tried to impl implement. So you can go out there and do yeah. it. And, you know, all the, the media and the elites and you know, multicultural advocates will all be triggered, but it, it's electorally popular. I mean, we saw that poll last year, 49% of Australians at least want Muslim immigration ban. So there is popular support for this. There is, and that's the thing they need to realise. Um, you know, I think they're being a bit too too naive, you know, being a bit too, I suppose, too careful trying to, um, you know, take small steps, um, you know, instead of, you know, just full on, doing what people want them to do. Um, you know, I, and I think if they did do what people want them to do, they will be much more successful. Um, look at the Conservatives, they're up 20 points, for example, in England, because they did propose a Brexit referendum and they fulfilled it and their Prime Minister is fulfilling, fulfilling it right now. And that just shows that they do have support. Um, so I think it's better for them to, instead of taking small steps, just to do, give the people what they want. Uh, and we should emphasize, we don't think for a moment that Turnbull generally has had a change of heart. It's just that he knows that he is so far behind in the polls, the fact that uh, the coalition is bleeding support to one nation. I mean, he's only after trying to save his job. But of course, as, as we've said before, if he does what you know we want him to do in the process of saving, saving his job, you know, we'll take that. That's still good. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's mutually beneficial. You know, ultimately, we want them to give us the right thing. You know, they want we want them to do the right thing instead of pandering to the left. Um, and ultimately, I suppose Turnbull is doing that. Um, and when you look at other other events that happened um, during the, in Australia, for example, you know, Cory Bernardi leaving the Liberal Party, um, that may have sort of resulted in you know the bell being rung. Um, 
So as I say, just to, you know, remind Turnbull that, you know, people are getting more right wing and that the right wing is still there um, to the surprise of the left, um, which was governing this the Western world for quite some time. Um, so I think that just shows that he's trying to um, take careful steps to appeal to them, but, you know, just not to he's just ignorant of the fact that most people do, do support these policies. Well, we still don't know whether these new requirements will apply to refugees. Uh, for example, the, the Turnbull government has still brought in 10,000 Syrian ref refugees, so we don't know whether these new citizenship requirements will apply to them. And let's not forget that people can just lie on the test. I mean, it's pretty easy, like, you know, if you know that you have to pass to say that you don't support female genital mutilation, so you'll just tick that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we all know what taqiyya is. Um, we all know that it's, it's an Islamic concept um, that says you can lie about Islam, you can lie about yourself in order to um, make sure that you are able to get into the country or, you know, make sure that to make sure that people will not be encouraged to say anything against Islam, you know, it's taqiyya. And um, we saw that with um, Yasmin Abdul-Majid on Q&A. We see that with various, um, you know, so-called feminist Muslims um, who are living in Australia, um, and they're, they're lying. And, you know, it's very it's very logical for them to just lie and because they know the answer. That's why we need something more hardline. And, you know, while this is a it, it's it's a nice step towards the right thing. It's not what we want. It's not enough. And you know, I th I think that's one nation and other parties like the Australian Conservatives will continue to receive more support. But it's a sign this change from Turnbull. It's a sign that we're winning. We're beginning to be influential, and we're uh, and we're you know make, making the government you know listen to the people more. And so we've just got to continue to keep up the pressure. You know, make sure we keep raising these these issues and saying you know you still need to address the main issue, which is Muslim immigration, because uh, this has shown that people like Pauline Hanson, Cory Bernardi, George Christensen are being effective. Yeah, um, you know, it's not ideal, but it shows, it shows that things are going the right way and the Liberal Party is, you know, becoming what it's meant to be. Um, so, you know, if, if he continues this, it's going to be quite good. And who can actually be reasonably against these sort of things? I mean, you know, do you have, what's wrong with asking the question, like, do you support uh, female genital mutilation? Like, you don't want someone in the country who supports that. You want migrants who are able to speak English. Yeah, I mean, people are going to, the left is going to continue blasting Turnbull with, you know, the racist, sexist, sexist oh, sorry, racist Islamophobic argument. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, you know, you wouldn't want people who think genital mutilation is okay. You wouldn't want people to think, um, you, you wouldn't want people who think that wife beating is okay or who can't speak English or who are compatible um, with our culture. So it's the logical thing to do. Um, again, might be easy to lie, for them to lie, but I shouldn't be seeing any opposition for this. Yeah, definitely. So we can only hope that uh, we, cont we continue to be able to see this better development. I mean, to Turnbull's credit, he has been firm on our border security with the, with the boats, but yeah, he's, de he's definitely improved a lot from, you know, saying that multiculturalism oh, is so good and, of course, that famous ITFA dinner during the, the federal election. 
yeah, he does have track record of you know ruining himself with all these um, association with Islamic organizations. So you know, hopefully, this can make him look better. Okay, so let's turn our attention to another election now, which is the French presidential election, which is occurring April twenty-three. So there's five major candidates. Um, do you want to go through the candidates, or do you want me to do it? Yeah, I can go through it. Um, so you know, the big three. Um, well, according to many sources, there are big four. Um, right now, but the big. Um, so the main candidates are, of course, our favorite Marine Le Pen. Um, and she is considered to be the far right candidate. Um, interestingly, she is quite uh, very conservative, but you know, many people think she's economically more left wing, um, which can be a concern. Um, but I, I guess it depends on your interpretation of her policies. Um, then, of course, we have, uh, 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 I suppose, a center left um, candidate. Uh, you could say it's it's a, a centrist candidate. He says he's centrist, but he's more left left leaning. Um, we have Emmanuel Macron. Um, and he is the the, um, the leader for En Marche. Um, and of course, we have Francois Fillon, um, and he is the leader for the Republicans, um, which is their traditional center-right party. Um, and of course, there's the Communist Party, um, and they're considered to be um, the fourth one, and their leader is Jean-Luc Mélenchon, and he's very, he's very, um, I suppose, disagreeable. And then we've also got the, uh, in fifth place, the socialist candidate, uh, uh, Bernard Hamon, uh, who, is, who, who is the candidate because the current president, uh, Francois Hollande, who's from the Socialist Party, is not running again because he's so unpopular. Uh, but because the yeah. Socialist Party brand is so toxic, uh, Hamon is not considered uh, a viable candidate at all. Yeah, I mean, we all know that Marie Le Pen um, actually did quite well calling uh, Francois Hollande um, the governor of France province, saying that, you know, he's actually subordinate to Merkel um, because, you know, he, Merkel is now the sort of the empress of Europe and France is now under her command. So she, I think her branding of him um, sort of worked quite well in revealing who Hollande really is. I'm glad I got you to introduce the candidates because your French pronunciation is much better than mine. Yeah, they are very. Um, I watched the I watched the the news and they pronounce it quite like that. So um, hard to pr pronounce because you know the accents. But yeah. Uh, so obviously, uh, Philon is the libertarian choice. I mean, he is very good on free free market issues, on reducing taxes and the size of government. But of course, he's still soft on immigration. I mean, he's not in favour of a Muslim ban, but wants to slow down uh, the immigration intake. So he, he's he's very much sort of like like Turnbull on this issue. So which is he's better than yeah. the left, but definitely still not good enough, especially given the current situation in France. Yeah, I think, you know, we need people who are very good on the main issues. And while he is quite good on, you know, the economic issues, um, when it comes to the main ones, um, he's not very strong because, again, as I said, he's soft on immigration. He doesn't want to get out of the EU. Um, you know, he's not saying anything about it. Um, so, you know, I think uh, the thing is, he could be the most free market, most economically enlightened person there is. But if his stance on immigration and the EU are soft, it won't matter because his economic policies will just will just won't work if you know there are all these Islamic migrants or you know, if the if France continues to be subordinate to the EU. 
Oh, well, Mark on, he is the, the EU or the globalist candidate. Yeah. I mean, he is full-on committed to the EU project, and so he would just be the worst establishment person. It's funny because he is a political outsider, but he's the ultimate representative of the political establishment. He is. Um, Macron is an interesting case. Um, people are saying that he's using a Barack Obama-style campaign to try and appeal to people. Um, he does have lots of people from the younger demographic supporting him. He is uh, as a concert centrist, but you know, as left-leaning, and he is a very um, pro-EU member, which I suppose is one reason why the younger demographics are supporting him. Um, and he is quite progressive as well. He doesn't want to do anything about immigration. Um, and he's, he, if he wins, then France will result in a downfall because his policies are just going to make things worse um, thanks to, you know, open borders, thanks to the EU interfering in French affairs, which was which is worse than in Britain. Um, Britain actually had it quite good in comparison to France. Um, so because they don't have, they, they have the euro, they don't have the franc anymore, something Marine is adamant on. Um, so I think Macron is not a very good candidate because, you know, he just, he's a bit like the male version of Hillary. Uh, and of course, uh, the final two candidates are uh, left and further left. I mean, yes. uh, Melanchon wants a hundred percent tax on the very wealthy. I mean, why would you bother working? I think that is completely evil. I mean, why would I don't? I can't think of anyone with a good heart to vote for someone who is going to tax the rich one hundred percent. If you vote for someone like that, you are you are the definition of evil. You are the definition of immoral, um, because. It's 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 uh, there are no words to describe taking uh, having 100% rich tax um, when France's economy is going down when you know when people when when there's unemployment when half of Paris is under under riots so it's not going to work and it's just going to result in a worse a worse life for people and France is going to just fall down if this happens. I mean, France has got high debt, high taxes, high spending, you know, all the signs of big government are high. Their, their economy has been stalling for many years. Uh, unemployment is high. I mean, France is, is not in a good place economically, but also culturally it's in, in ruins as well. Exactly. And that's why having such, such, such regressive, such evil taxes are going to make things worse in the cultural landscape because it's going to, as I said, you know, Paris is already under protest. You know, there are already riots happening in Paris. And if you have this, then it's going to exacerbate all the cultural problems they have. And it's going to result in people firstly not working and people not being encouraged to contribute to the economy. And it's just going to be a welfare state with, you know, a dictatorship, a left wing dictatorship. Uh, a lot of libertarians have criticised me uh, for supporting Marine Le Pen, but for me, the the most important issue this this election is Fran France's national security, which Le Pen is by far the best. I mean, you can't have a free market if half the country is under Sharia law. Exactly. Um, you know, Fionn can continue supporting his, continue promoting and supporting and in, enforcing in, in ways his his ideologies. He can continue to be the free market candidate. That's nice. But if you're going to continue to have immigration and continue to be subordinate to the EU, then it's not going to matter. You know, it's not going to matter what economic, um, if you're economically right wing, because it's it's going to stall because the EU will interfere, migrants will interfere and ruin things, so it just won't work. 
Yeah, on well, major French cities now, they have no-go zones, which are under Sharia law. You have Friday prayers, you know, interrupting traffic on the street, which is for people who never been to France and see that, it's pretty freaky. It is. I mean, France is meant to be a Catholic country, and here you are seeing Muslim prayers in the street, you know, seeing all these ghettos in Paris. There are streets lying with mattresses, lying with all. It's 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 a shanty town, um, you know, and it's it's sad really for the migrants. It's sad as well. I mean, they're living in such squalor, um, and that's because they came there, you know. So it's worse for the people who are inhabiting there. It's it's bad for tourism, and people are not gonna continue to perceive France as that romantic, um, you know, that, that cultural heartland of Europe because it's going to be in ruins and people like the left are going to continue to ruin it. I think the tourism companies in France, I think they're uh, quite clever and they probably make sure that tourists avoid going into the mm. ghettos of Paris and Marseille. Yeah, I think they do. Um, but I think when you look, when most people these days are, they they actually see. Oh, not I wouldn't say most, but I would say many people these days they actually see what's happening in Paris. Um, they know the truth behind it. You know, the media doesn't. The media doesn't focus on that, but people know what's happening, um, and it's going to continue to be bad for their tourism industry. It's going to be bad for the economy. Um, it's it's going to be bad for their culture as well. And there's a terror attack in France on average once a month, which is pretty alarming. And also an interesting statistic is that ISIS is nearly as popular as the current president of France. I mean, that, that, that's, that's pretty terrifying. It is terrifying. Um, and that's thanks to the EU. I mean, that's going to... That's why you shouldn't vote for someone who wants to remain in the EU. That's why you shouldn't vote for someone who wants to um, have open borders. I mean, if you, if you want to vote Fion, fine. It just means that you don't care about all these problems. That's what it, that's what it says about you. Um, I know, as I said, team, lots of libertarians um, are criticizing you um, and your ideology, well, your ideological identity, I suppose, um, because you're supporting Marine. But the thing is. You're supporting her because you know that if you don't support her, if she doesn't win, France will continue to collapse and we will have more danger there, more terrorism there and more unrest in France. And obviously, I don't think I can't think of any libertarian who would want to see that. Oh, I'm not, I'm not alone, thankfully. Uh, Adam Crichton uh, wrote in The Australian, he's a, a libertarian economics writer, he, he, he wrote why he supports uh, Le Pen and gave libertarian reasons, which, which was quite good. He, 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 he emphasised that the crushing of the political elites was what France really needed and Le Pen was the only one who would really shake up the political establishment. I mean, she wants to get out of the EU, she wants to get out of the, the Euro, I mean, she is very much shaking things up and changing the status quo, which is what France and pretty much every country in Europe needs. Yeah, I mean, she's leading a mini revolution, um, a mini sort of, in many ways, libertarian revolution. I mean, I, I know lots of people are criticizing her for being left-wing economically or left-leaning economically. Um, well, if you look at her policies, they actually are very right-wing. You know, it's like people saying Pauline Hanson is left-leaning. Um, if you look closer, she's not. Um, if you, know, you if, exclude trade, I mean, yeah, Japan is yeah. pretty free market. Exactly, exactly. I mean, trade, free trade or international trade is just one aspect of economics. Um, just because she supports protectionism doesn't mean that, you know, free, she's automatically um, left-wing or left-leaning on economics. I remember, remember the right-wing, this is France, the right-wing, the 
the the original right wing, I like to say, was always in France, um, and the original right wing was protectionist. So you can't criticize her for being lefty. I mean, I I find it quite interesting how those those left libertarians are criticizing Marine Le Pen for being left wing when you know the actual original right wing would would support her, um, which is almost non-existent right now. But they would support her, um, and. That's why she's. That's why she's able to appeal to people because of that nationalist, um, conservative, um, sort of uh, reactionary attitude, and that's what people want. Uh, Marine Le Pen. She's also another example of why all the good female leaders come from the right. Exactly, Pauline Hanson, Marine Le Pen. Um, yeah, I think Margaret it's Thatcher. a very good. Yes, Margaret Thatcher. I think it's a very good example of how female, the good female leaders, in the, the the female presidents we really want, they come from the right, not the left. And, and we've loved the alternative slogans for Le Pen's campaign, the "I'm with her." And of course, yeah. there's also the the other wishy one, uh, Le Pen is mightier than the sword. Yeah, I think those are quite not good ways to actually, you know, mock the left wing um, uh, rhetoric and just, you know, say that we are right literally and you know in all other ways so uh, though it looks like le pen she'll she'll make it to the runoff which is two weeks after but all of the current uh, opinion of polling whether it's against Fillon or macron shows her losing by 20 points which is i know we've we've we saw in the us and in the 2015 uk general election the the polling was wrong because nobody wanted to not uh, not everybody wanted to say that they were supporting the Tories or or Trump, but that's a twenty points is a pretty a steep hill to climb. It is. Um, I think that the thing is, I think the problem here is that Trump um, was actually in a mainstream right wing party anyway, um, so it, it was much easier for him because you know he was in the Republicans. Um, the Republicans were already going to get people, traditional Republican voters. I mean, I don't like using this example, but, you know, we have Caitlyn Jenner who publicly said, um, I may disagree with Trump, but I have always voted Republican, so I will vote Republican. So we had, you know, people who may have disagreed with Trump who still voted for Republicans because that's their tradition. Um, so, you know, that in that sense, Trump was, you know, in an advantage. Marine right now is actually in a different party. Um, so it's harder for her. If she was in the Republicans, that would be a much different story. Um, but she's not. Um, she's in a different party. Uh, and it's that's why she sort of is a different position. I, I hope the polls are wrong this time too. Maybe, maybe they are, um, but they could be right considering the fact that there are other factors influencing it. For example, I um, know that um, there's a, a glitch in the overseas voting system um, where over 500,000 French citizens live overseas and they are able to vote twice um, because of a glitch and they are not investigating it until after the election. Um, and so they have, we have all these Factors like the, like the rigging of elections, similar to what we saw with Donald Trump, um, influencing this election. Um, but I do hope it won't matter um, this time either. Uh, there have been some people who've been thinking more long term and saying, "Well, she might not win this time, but she'll win in five years' time in twenty twenty two But the thing is, I'm not sure if France will survive <laughs> that much longer. But the reason why they say she would win in five years' time is because, yes, the situation in France would deteriorate further, but also the fact that a lot of her supporters are, are young. And so by 2022, there'll be a lot more younger people who are able to, to vote and they'll vote for her. 
Yeah, we do see lots of um, you know very young people who aren't able to vote yet um, starting to support right-wing parties secretly. Um, and you know, in 2022, they might be actually able to express that and actually vote for her and help her um, in the next election. Um, but you know, that's only if she loses. I quite frankly, I I'm gonna say the truth. I don't think she will lose. Um, I feel like she will win. That's that's right. I'm getting that feeling, the same feeling I got with Trump. Yeah, you were, you were right. I, I, I was sceptical about Trump winning. I recall saying on the, the podcast before the election, or, uh, you know, I'm not confident, but you you said you had a feeling and you were right. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that she might win. I have a feeling that the silent majority might come out and say that, you know, um, we want her. Same thing with Brexit as well. I mean, Brexit was not going to happen, but, um, well, it wasn't meant to happen. But, you know, we had the right wings of silent majority coming out and saying we want to vote for this um, so i feel like she can take this um again time will tell i hope i'm right i hope the gut feeling is right this time as well well it's certainly going to be a critical few months in european politics both in france and the uk which pretty much the fu- uh, future of europe will hinge on i mean that's no exaggeration yeah, I mean, if she wins and she's able to have a referendum, if she has a referendum, then France definitely will get out of the EU. That's that's beyond dispute, I would say. Um, if that happens and the EU is on its way down, um, I know that in Poland, anti-EU sentiment is quite high. Um, so, you know, all these countries are trying to get out. Um, so if that if there is a referendum, France will leave and, I, and the franc will be restored. And I think I know the EU will start to crumble from then on, um, you know, but, you know, it needs to win first. And the only thing I can encourage, the only thing I can say to encourage the left is, you know, if you don't vote for her, you are a sexist misogynist. Yeah, but both, yeah. both to the voters in France and the UK, vote for a, yeah. a female leader. Exactly, vote for a female leader or else you are a sexist. <laughs> oh, thank you once again, Suka, for joining me as co-host. It was my pleasure. And of course, at the end of the show, uh, the usual reminders uh, apply. So if you haven't signed up for their email list already, please uh, sign up at theunshackled.net slash subscribe. And we have also got some special events coming up. So they're at theunshackled.net slash events. In a week and a half's time, we are going to be at the Australian Libertarian Society uh, Friedman Conference in Sydney. Uh, the Unshackled is a sponsor of that, so we're very excited about that. Uh, you recall we had uh, Tim Andrews from the Australian Taxpayers Alliance on a few weeks back who organises the conference. So we will be very excited to, to be there and we'll be hopefully doing a series of video reports from there. And there are also a lot of uh, friends from the alternative media there as well so it's going to be a good weekend yeah we hope you can join us um, and celebrate those events with us and i'll provide a link to that on the show notes page and also please consider supporting the website you can become a patron on patreon or donate via paypal and of course don't forget to subscribe to the show on soundcloud itunes stitcher TuneIn radio or view the video version on youtube and don't forget to check out theunshackled.net for all the latest news and election news Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you next time.